Welcome to the Outpost Church podcast for Discipleship Training Week 2023. This year, our theme was All He Asks is Everything. Over the next few episodes, you'll be encouraged by a variety of speakers who actively lay down their lives to serve God and His kingdom. We hope that as you listen, you feel inspired to further understand what it means to follow Jesus and surrender all aspects of our lives to Him. We hope you enjoy. So we have... um Roger and Viv Brooke that are with us today. Um, we, on Monday and Tuesday, were ministered to by a married couple, um, and we're going to be ministered to again uh, by a married couple. And uh, Roger was the interim senior pastor at Seeds. Um, yeah, so he was my, my boss um, going back eight, nine years ago. Um, I remember hearing about Roger maybe 20 years ago, but didn't get to meet him until 2014. Um, But Roger um, is someone who loves Jesus, and that comes across really clearly. Um, This morning, we're going to have Roger first up before morning tea, and then Viv, I believe, after morning tea. Um, And yeah, so we're going to hear some teachings, some testimonies. And just encourage you to position your hearts to receive. Um, yeah, these are good guys who I highly endorse and recommend. Um, and just, yeah, encourage you to be ready to receive what God has to say through them. So I know I've already prayed, but I feel like praying one more time. Uh, would you come and stand up, Rog? Um, Viv as well. I know you're going to sit back down again in a minute, but if you'd come up, we'd just love to, to speak a blessing over you guys and your family. And that this time here, hopefully... The last hour or so has already been encouraging, um, but hopefully this whole day is just a, a great encouragement to your spirits. And yeah, God bless you. Father, thank you for what um, you have done already. Uh, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what we will get to see in a fresh way because Roger and Viv are here today, because they're being obedient to your call. Thank you for your call upon their lives. Thank you for the way they have answered it already. And Lord, I pray that there would be an even greater sense of purpose and call for them from this day forward. I pray there would be a renewing of calls that you have already brought. Um, And Lord, I pray that there would be a refreshing over them and just this incredible sense of purpose. I pray that Gully Church would be so blessed because they're here today. I pray there would be things that they receive as they give that would benefit not only them but also their church. And I speak the same thing uh, over their kids. I pray, Lord, that their children would be blessed as a result of their time here today, that there would be things that are imparted, there will be things that you do through them, uh, but also things that they see in others uh, that would be a blessing for them that would bear fruit. Lord, I also ask that you would encourage them through their own testimonies as they share these things again. I pray, Lord, that you would just astound them um, as they recall the events, as they recall the faithfulness uh, that you have demonstrated over the course of their lives. And Lord, I pray for a refreshing uh, over uh, the teaching that they're bringing, um, whether it is uh, foundational and something they've known for a long time or something that's more recent revelation, I pray that even in these moments there would be a freshness to that revelation for them, a fresh excitement as they see you again. They see Jesus clearly and, and present him clearly. Yeah, thank you, Father, that you are here. Come, Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. You're so good. You're so capable I think I've used that word of you before. It is true. You are capable. You will do what you want to do. And we're excited. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Over to you, brother. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all. I've seen, know some of you. Don't know all of you. Um, can I have both? Is that all right? I'm, uh, I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit's capable because <laughs> I've got nothing. 
um, other than what God's going to reveal through his word and his Holy Spirit. Like it's, I, I often just feel so inadequate to ever share about Jesus Christ because who am I to do that? Like I just sometimes feel like I'm just this guy. I'm just an ordinary bloke. There's nothing too special about me. But somehow in the Holy Spirit, everything shifts and in God's eyes, I and you are not just ordinary. We're extraordinary because he fills us with himself, which makes us extraordinary. And so I've, I feel inadequate all the time. I've had a terrible week preparing for this. I'm not a person that gets stressed, but I've been stressed this week, um, which is just when Shane said I had to speak 75 minutes twice, I thought, what? 75 minutes? I mean, I can talk, but I want to actually have something relevant to say. And so uh, it's really interesting. And so we're going to we're going to share some stuff. Maybe it's not new, but um, but I, it's foundational, right? I think it's and it's 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 foundational. And I don't think we can do ministry and outreach without having a foundation to actually work from. So I want to talk about that today. And and in in Romans um, in Romans twelve one and two, it says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I was thinking about that. Like, like Paul's talking to this church in Rome and he beseeches them. So like this is like a heart's cry. Like it's deep from within. He's beseeching these people that, that by the mercy of God they would present themselves as living sacrifices. So, so what he's saying is, you'll, I want you to sacrifice all that you are and all that you have to Jesus Christ. I don't want you to just sacrifice part of you or just on a couple of days a week this is like every day every moment I want it's a sacrifice it's everything to God and and then the weird thing Paul says is he says this is just reasonable you know what I mean like I want you to give everything and this is just reasonable because God's given everything to you and so then he just says and so I want your minds to be renewed because the world is going to take that away from you so don't 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 conform to the pattern of this world anymore be transformed by the renewing of your mind and and we need to do that as christians we need to step out of what the world is teaching and doing in our life and we need to continually step into the presence of god so that our mind and our hearts are continually renewed so that we can see truth for what truth is because when we don't step into to God and his ways, we're hearing and stepping into lies which will never lead to truth. And we live in this battle all the time. We can't allow a world to shape us. We need to step into the presence of God so that we can shape the world. Now, that wasn't really what I was going to say, but that's what I got to, right? So, so Viv and I are really happy to be here, right? Um, uh, and and Viv, I'm really looking forward to what Viv's got to share more than what I'm sharing, all right? Because um, <laughs> it's really central to who we are and what God's called us and we've been unbelievably blessed. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, when, when, when Shane asked me to come and speak, he said, I remember you said something in 2014 uh, in a sermon about it was no longer you that lived and then you talked a, a bit about barley and he says, and, and I was thinking that maybe you could share something like that but, but not that but, you know, like I'm just, that was in my mind. So I said, 2014, like that's nine years ago. I don't even, I don't know what I preached nine years ago. Like, but I'm glad you were listening, man, because most people, you know, for what do we forget? 90% of what we hear within 72 hours. So I'm really, really grateful that you remembered that. And so I went looking for old sermons and I'm thinking, I can't, 
I got nothing. Like I couldn't find it. But we, we need to remember, and, and that just triggered this thought, that it's no longer we who lives, it's Christ who lives in us. It's not about us anymore, it's about Jesus Christ now. He's filled us, he lives in us. Like, this is not me, this is Jesus Christ. He lives in us. And as I keep stepping into a world, I keep stepping out of Jesus living in me. I'm like, I'm stepping away from him. And I'm allowing a world to dictate, and we need to continually be in the presence of God and so that Jesus in us dominates all that we are and all that we do. And so I, I want you to think about what do you believe? What, what is core to your thinking? See, everyone believes something. Everyone does what they do for a reason. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a worldview. No matter uh, who you are, everyone in our world has a worldview. They do what they do for a reason. There is something foundational in the way that they act and how they feel and how they respond, what they think about, the jobs that they do. Everyone has a worldview. And how we see the world is the base reason for how we behave in the world. So I want you to spend just a minute or two writing down what is the foundation for what you believe that you stand on. Just think about it for a couple of minutes and write some stuff down. What is the foundation of what you believe and stand on? Okay, I wonder what some of you wrote, just quickly. What are, some, what are some foundations that you stand on? Jesus is Lord. Creator, yep. He's good. Above all things. Everything is spiritual. Sorry, I thought there was something more coming. But, but that, that's really good. God loves. <laughs> Made all people in his image. Eternity is home. Yep, purpose and meaning to life. Yep, the Word is perfect and the Holy Spirit does reveal its truth. We can't understand the Word apart from the Holy Spirit revealing it to us. Absolutely. God leads you. There's a whole lot, aren't there? I, I actually want to share um, four foundational truths of Scripture that I actually think, and I didn't make this up right, this is <laughs> from the Word of God and a lot of people have talked about this, Four things that shape what I call a biblical worldview. I actually think as Christians we need to have a biblical worldview. Uh, I think the, the, the foundations of who we are and how we live come from Scripture. And the, and the great thing about Scripture, and we've had the privilege of travelling a fair bit um, and I've spoken uh, in some different places around the world and I speak to some different cultures and... When we step into our relationship with Jesus Christ, we step out of the culture of which we were born into. We step into the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter what culture you come from, once you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you step into his kingdom, into his culture, into his way. And the scriptures tie, no matter whether you're born in South Sudan, in Argentina, in Indonesia, in the Philippines, in Alaska or Russia, we are all drawn together as one in Christ. And it's the word of God that shapes us as God's community. Now, and that's revealed to us by the spirit of God, right? And so there are some foundations in the Word of God which I think we need to be, have a biblical worldview that then allows us to shape our world God's way. And that's so important for us to do that because there are so many different worldviews. And we know within ourselves sometimes we think something and do something and then we look back and we say, why did I do that? 
And we regret doing so many things because we stepped out of a biblical worldview into a natural or into an old way and we begin to behave sometimes out of what used to be, not out of what is and should be. And so at the end of the day, for Christians, it doesn't matter what our culture says, it matters what God says. And that's why I think a biblical worldview is so important. A biblical truth is God's truth for humanity and it transcends culture, race, gender, age, education and so on. And I believe it's the core, it's the foundation for Christians in all that we do because it shapes how we behave in the world. So, to hold a biblical worldview, I think there are four keys, four foundations. Creation, fall, redemption and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption and restoration. Let me explain these. Uh, And as I start this, um, if we don't understand these four foundations, that, that we stand on those, everything we do for Jesus and everything we do for mission and every activity and every outreach, everything we do will begin with the wrong motivation. If our motivation isn't coming from a biblical worldview and standing on these four foundations of creation, fall, redemption and restoration. Okay, first one, creation, how it all began. Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Got your Bibles, you can go to it, but I figure you might know this. All right? Genesis 1 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I, I love the idea that the Spirit was all over this. Right? God created and yet his spirit was all over it, right? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and separated light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So God created It was God who thought this stuff up. It was God who did this. God created the heavens and the earth and God created everything that is. It was God's creation. And that's a foundational truth for us that God is the creator and our world will want to teach us something else and slowly it's getting its way. But we need to stand on a truth of creation. It's God's creation. It's his idea. He did it. No one else thought this up. No one else has a capability of doing it. And how can something come from nothing? It's an impossibility. God did this. He sorted this out. And then it goes on um, all through truth. And it says, God said, and at the end it was good. He saw that it was good. And God said, God spoke, and then he saw it was good. God said, God spoke, he spoke it into being. And then he saw it was good. And then in uh, Genesis chapter 1, at 28, it just says this, 28 and 31. So 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then in 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Everything we are and everything we have is because God created it. This is just first and foremost. Any thoughts about that? That's a different issue. And yes, it matters to some point. But the point I'm saying is, whether you think God created through evolution or whether it was a literal six-day six creation, seven-day of resting, whether that one day is like a... That's a different debate and I have opinion about that, all right? I have a strong opinion about that. 
But what I'm trying to get right now is it was God. You know, it was God, all right? And uh, maybe later we'll get into my opinion about evolution and um, I, I, I'll be honest, I believe in a young earth, right? It's just where I stand. Um, but that's, uh, we'll get into that. Don't forget that I said that because we've got other stuff that I want in your head. We don't need that in your head right now, all right? Absolutely. It's God who created everything. Absolutely. So that's where we stand. The second foundation is fall. Sin is the problem. Genesis 3, well done. Genesis 3, 1 to 10. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid themselves from the Lord. God, so they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was reading that and what stood out for me was sin hides us from God. God does not hide from our sin. They sinned and they heard God so they hid. God doesn't move from us, we move from God. And that's the nature of what sin does the problem of the world is sin god has created a good world and god has created male and female to be in a good relationship with him but sin hides us from god in um a book that i'm going to read a little bit from it's called how now shall we live by chuck colson chuck colson all right chuck colson um is an american guy he's passed away now uh, he was uh, high up in the army in America and then he got into politics and was one of the most influential Watergate. You got it? So if you're a little older, you'll know Watergate. If you're younger than you, then you won't know Watergate. But Watergate was a big deal. President Nixon did some stuff he shouldn't have done. But Chuck Colson was the guy behind it, right? He was called the enforcer in that particular Area. So uh, when, he, when it was all revealed and whatever, Chuck Colson just fell to his knees and gave his life to Jesus Christ, right? And uh, an amazing man. And so um, I, there are some resources that Shane said, could I bring and would there be any for free? I've got none for free, but I've got lots you can buy that are awesome, all right? And so this is one. And uh, if you're going to buy any book, this would be it, wouldn't it, Viv? How Now Shall We Live by Chuck Colson. Sorry? Yep, absolutely. He did time. All right? So I want to read what he says about this, that sin is the problem. It's a little bit of a read, but it's good, okay? I wouldn't read it to you if it wasn't good. Because <laughs> what would be the point, really? I do have to fill 75 minutes. Um, <laughs> no. Freedom to choose. 
How does the Bible reconcile God's goodness and power with the presence of evil? Scripture teaches that God is good and that he created a universe that was very good. It also teaches that the universe is now marred by evil, death and suffering. Logically, there can only be one way to reconcile these two statements without denying any element in them. There must be a source of sin outside of God. And that is exactly what scripture tells us. God is good and created a perfect world. But one of the things that makes humans and angels intelligent beings is freedom. They had the freedom to obey God or to turn away from him. And to turn away from God, the source of all goodness is to create evil. Evil does not have an independent existence, nor was it created by God. Evil was created by sin. The decision to sin was made in the spiritual realms by Satan and other angels who are intelligent beings capable of general, uh, genuine moral choice. Sin then entered our world through the free moral choices made by the first human beings, Adam and Eve. From there the plague has spread throughout all of history because of the free moral choices humans continue to make. People sometimes ask, what made Adam and Eve sin? But freedom means there is no external cause. We are not trapped in an endless chain of cause and effects as determinists like Einstein believe. Instead, we are intimate and genuinely, sorry, and genuinely new, sorry, we can imitate and genuinely a genuinely new chain of cause and effect. In making moral choices, we are genuine first causes. And logically, you can't ask what cause a first cause. Thus, we can resolve the apparent contradiction we began with. God is all good and he created a world that was good and perfect. But one of the perfect things he made was free creatures and they have freely chosen to do wrong. As we said earlier, it is vital that we recognise the his, the his, his, his city. What is that word? Historicity. As we said earlier, it is vital that we recognise the historicity of the fall. If the fall is merely a symbol, while in reality sin is intrinsic to human nature then we are back to Einstein's dilemma that God created evil and is implicated in our wrongdoings. Scripture gives a genuine answer to the problem of evil only because it exists, insists that God created a world originally good and that sin entered at a particular point of history. And when that happened, it caused a catalytic change distorting and disfiguring creation resulting in death and destruction that's why evil is so hateful so repulsive so tragic our response is entirely appropriate and the only reason god can truly comfort us is that he's on our side he did not create evil and he too hates the way it has disfigured his handiwork but if god knew beforehand that we would make such a mess of things, says the sceptic, why did he let it happen? Why did he create us capable of sinning? It's a fair question. But think carefully about what it means. In order for God to ensure that we could not sin, he would have to have to tamper with our freedom of will. To create us not as full human beings, but as puppets or robots programmed to only do what he wanted. But that would have rendered us incapable of loving God or one another. For genuine love cannot be coerced. Also, without free will, we would not be capable of moral responsibility, creativity, obedience, loyalty or heroism. The only way God could create beings that are fully human was to take the risk that they would use their freedom and not choose evil. Then once humans did choose evil... God's holy character required justice. He could not ignore it, overlook it, or simply wipe the slate clean and start over again. Once the scales of justice had been tipped, 
they had to be balanced. Once the moral fabric of the universe had been torn, it had to be mended. Right? The problem of our world is sin. Sin created evil. Evil did not create sin. Sin is first cause, and nothing creates first cause. Creates first cause. It's a first cause. Sin is our first cause. That's, that's our free choice, and sin was the first choice from that. So we have a creation that God created that was good, but then sin entered our world because of the free choice that God gave us. Now that's foundational for us because as we look at a world, we have to have an answer for why bad stuff is going on. Why evil seems to reign? What, what is all that about? Why are people seemingly just getting worse and worse? It's because of sin. And sin is a real thing. And God hates it as much as you might hate it. But even more than that. So he created a world to be good. And in doing that, he created us to have a freedom to make choice. And in that choice, we chose sin. Right? So that's why our world is messed up. Unbelievably messed up. And I reckon even the greatest atheist would see our world and think, you know what, there's some problems. You know what I mean? But they don't have an answer for the problems. But the answer is sin. The answer is people have stuffed up. Any thoughts about that? Yep. They chose wrong. They chose that they wanted to be like God. It wasn't what they were created for. They created to be with God. So choice. So sin's a real thing. And we need to understand that sin is a real thing. The fall happened. So that then leads to redemption. Being saved from sin to Jesus. Romans 3, 23 to 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For all have sinned. Everybody's sinned. Everyone's made that choice not to walk God's way, but to walk away from God. And then every one of us has got to the point where we then hid ourselves from God because we knew we'd done the wrong thing. How hard is it to worship God when we know we've committed sin? It's, it's super hard. Right? I know a lot of people that stay away from church because they've done some wrong things and they feel guilty about coming into church. They hide themselves from God. But we have redemption for that through Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 3 and 4. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. I love the fact that we can be forgiven from sin and we hear this all the time. Every time you take communion, you're hearing the same story, but it's a central story for us. God created a world that was good. And then the fall came. We chose sin. We chose to separate ourselves from God because we wanted to be like God. We didn't want to come under God. But then there's a way, God made a way of forgiving us of that sin. Redemption. And it's only found in Jesus Christ, we're told. Jesus came to die for our world. And so when we get to this point of, oh, you know what, there, there, are, there are a number of ways to God. You know, there are, other religions are okay. There's, there's another way. There is no other way according to biblical truth. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ because he died for the sin of the world. He redeemed us as sinful people back to a heavenly God. It's only through Jesus Christ that happens. It's a foundational truth from that and when we step off that foundation then we're on very shaky ground about, you know, how do we have this relationship with God? Some people would say, oh, you're... you're um, the Christianity is, um, is so exclusive. No, it's not. It's for everyone. God wants everyone in. And the way to God is through Jesus Christ because he took our sin upon himself. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ. 
And it's the only way we're redeemed. He's washed everything away that ever separated us from God. Our sin is what separates us from God. We hide from God. So redemption is a key aspect of what we stand on and what we believe. Creation, fall, redemption. Let's just read one more little bit. Not as long as the last one, all right? Actually, no, it's pretty long. (laughs) First, Christianity begins with an accurate diagnosis of the human dilemma. The basic problem is a moral one, our guilt before a holy God. God created us and established the moral dimensions for our lives, but we blew it. We have sinned, every one of us. We all have fallen short of God's perfect standards, Romans 3.23. We have defied the moral order of the universe, and as a result, we are alienated from God. Admittedly, people often do not feel guilty before God, since we are indoctrinated with the belief that guilt is merely a subjective feeling, a neurosis to be cured, and that we really ought to feel good about ourselves. As a result, many people come to Christianity on grounds other than guilt, a longing for inner peace and purpose an attraction to the quality of love practised in a local church or a need to resolve some life crisis. But no matter what initially attracts us to Christianity, at some point each of us must confront the truth of our own moral condition. Guilt is objectively real and we are guilty. We are sinners in the hands of a righteous God. The Holy Spirit can penetrate the hardest heart to convict us of our sinfulness. I know, because that is exactly what the Spirit did in my life. It's Chuck Colson talking. Second, Christianity provides the only answer to the problem of sin. God himself has reached across the moral chasm that separates us from him in order to bring us back. The second person of the Trinity became a human being, lived a perfect life of obedience to the moral order, and in his death paid the price for our violation of the moral law, satisfying the demands of divine justice. God's solution reveals a marvellous economy for the substitutionary atonement permits God to be both just and the one who justifies Romans 3.26. He remains just because he does not merely turn a blind eye to humanity's violation of the moral law, which flows from his own holy character. Yet at the same time, he justifies those who have violated that law because it demands have been met by Christ's suffering on the cross. Since it is humans who commit sin... Only a human being can pay the penalty for it. But since sin offends an infinite being, the penalty is infinite, which means only God can pay it. Thus, the incarnation is the only reasonable and fitting solution. God becomes man in order, as man, to pay the penalty for our sin. But death of the God-man is not the end of the story, for Jesus was resurrected from the dead and lives forever. He overcame death, making it possible for us to be free from sin and death, from evil and destruction. By accepting his salvation, we become new creations and a new people. This is the good news, the literal meaning of the gospel, that Christianity offers And it is far more than a mere intellectual answer. It transforms our lives. 
for myself, I know that I could not live with myself if I hadn't experienced the overwhelming conviction one night in 1973, sitting in my car in a friend's driveway, that God had died for me. In a flood of tears, I felt released from a crushing sense of guilt and revived with a new sense of purpose and meaning. For the first time, I had a real reason for living. Our redemption is through Jesus Christ. And, and I think often in um, churches, as, as it talked about there, people come for many reasons. But let's not kid ourselves. People need to have a relationship with God and it's broken because of sin and we deal with that in people's lives because that's dealing with people's sin is the only way to free them to be the person God created them to be. Nothing more, nothing less than that. And so often we dilute our, our, our churches and our teachings and we want to say, oh, that's okay, or we start to say sin is all right and this behaviour is okay, no, to be sexually or transgenders or all of these sort of things. We're, we're, we're starting to say slowly what God created and we stepped away from is okay and it's not okay. And we exist as a church to help a world work out that it's not okay. That's why we exist. So the redemption is central for us as Christians to hold on to that. We are here to declare to a world that they can be forgiven from a sin that has separated them from the very one who created them good. It's fundamental for us. God created the fall took place, but in Jesus Christ we can be redeemed back to God. God's redemption does not change us into something completely different. His redemption restores us to the way we were originally created. This then frees us to focus on the last of our four keys, restoration. Restoring humanity and the earth to how God created it to be. You see, God doesn't want us, humanity and his creation, to live in the sin and the consequences of sin. He wants it to be redeemed and restored. In Matthew 12, 13, um, then he said to the man, this is Jesus, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And it was restored as whole as the other one. Mark 8.25 Then he, Jesus, put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Everything Jesus did was about restoring people to how God created them to be. That was his purpose. That was why he came to restore humanity back to God. Our call in life is to restore humanity, our world, back to God and his original plan. That's our call. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Now this is a, a really powerful passage, a verse of scripture, a couple of verses of scripture. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now, this is like, I reckon this is the freakiest thing in all of humanity right? The Holy Spirit, God, lives in you. Now, like, like it's, it's like we just sit there saying, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> this is God who lives in us, right? This is God who dwells in us. God comes and he dwells in who we are, right? Now that's no small thing. 
The creator of the whole universe just decides that he wants to come and live in us. So our bodies are no longer our own. Once we come into this relationship with Jesus Christ, our bodies are no longer our own. We belong to God. God has entered into our bodies. We live for him. And he lives in us to help us do that. So every time we step into a world of sin, which we do from time to time, I don't think it's just me, is it? All right then. So I reckon lying's right up there. I don't know. Just got a feeling. Every time we do that, it's like we slap God in the face. He's living in us. He can't stand that we would step outside of what his original plan for us was. I get freaked out that the God of the universe lives in me. It just shapes the way that you do things, doesn't it? Like it, it has to change the way you think. Oh, okay, God's in me. I don't think I should be doing that. I don't think I should be watching that. I don't think I should be reading that. I mean, I'm sitting with God here. <laughs> He's in me. And so he just says, Do you not know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. The title of this week is, All He Asks is Everything. When I first read it, I thought, oh, that's a bit rich. Like, there's not really any wiggle womb in that, is there? Like, (laughs) it's like all he asks is everything, okay. But then when you think about it, it's exactly what he asks. He says, I want all of you, all of the time. We live in a broken world that has to be restored. Who's going to do that if you don't do that? We're the people that God's created. We're the one that he's redeemed. And then he's calling us to be the ones to restore humanity back to God. God lives in us. You think, who am I, which is how I started this, that God would use me? I'm a child of the living God who has the Holy Spirit living in them to all do all that God's called me to do. I'm, I'm, um, as you can probably tell when, when Viv took over to read, um, uh, I'm not the best reader in the world. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I really didn't do too well at school. Um, uh, I struggled a whole lot with uh, education. Uh, I struggled with confidence. I struggled with the ability to speak publicly. I was good at sport, right? But I, I, I really struggled with that. And uh, I can remember being a small group um, with some friends of ours I've become a Christian but I, we were in a small group and when they said oh, you want to read the Bible I said oh, I know someone else can do that or you know sometimes if I was asked to read in advance I'd memorize something because I was so slow I would memorize and I, I'd open it up and I would look like I'm reading it but I'd just memorize it right no one else was reading anyway so that enough I got a few words wrong but and but I was I was it was awful and we were sitting in a Bible study group and uh, they said oh Rod do you want to read the scriptures there's just four of us and I just remember this and I just started crying because I couldn't do it. I just felt so inadequate, right? And uh, I was with some friends, Mark and Lynn and Viv and I were in this group and, uh, and then they prayed for me. And I'd become a Christian, but, but as we know, Christian's a growing thing, isn't it, right? And so we, we just then asked this Holy, Holy Spirit to continually just help me and guide me and, and whatever. See, being dyslexic is, is sometimes a really difficult thing. And so I know when I preach and when I read, because I have to read a lot now, right? I've got a lot of stuff to try to work out. I, I know it's not me doing it because I know I can't do it. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. Like, I... The worst job in the world for someone like me is to be a pastor. 
Like, it's just literally the worst job in the world because I have to get up and speak in front of people and I hate speaking in front of people. And I have to read a whole lot of stuff so I can teach people stuff and I've got to know it. And I hate reading and learning. So why would you do a gig like this, right? There's nothing in me that likes this other than just one small, really little thing. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. And God chose me. He forgave me, redeemed me, restores me. And so no, it's not me anymore. I do what I do because of the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. Don't ever think you're too young, you're too old, you're too fat, you're too wrong culture, you don't have enough education. Life with God and ministry has nothing to do with any of that. It's got everything to do with the Holy Spirit living in you. Absolutely everything. You see, we have a God who created the heavens and the earth. That was God's idea. Then we had free choice in the midst of a loving God who wanted us to choose love, but we need free choice to choose love, which enabled us to also choose evil. Then he thought, you know what? I can sort this one out. I'm going to come. And I'm going to redeem my people back to me. And I'm going to fill them with the Holy Spirit so that they can begin a a work of restoration in our world. They're the four key things that I think are foundational for us to stand on. When we stand on the understanding of a biblical worldview that says God created, we sinned, God redeemed, and he uses us to restore, everything we do then has a basis of which we bring truth into whatever situation. If you're working full-time, you're a minister because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, because God created, everyone you're working with has fallen, but there's a way that you can help them. So wherever you are, you're a minister of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit lives in you to be a minister. It's not just, you know, Shane, Christy. It's not just those guys. We're all a minister because the Holy Spirit lives in us. But we need to have a foundational truth that we stand on so that as we go into a world, we won't be shaken and be transformed by the renewing of what the world says, but that we'll be shaken and transformed by the renewing of what God says. And we need to have a foundation to stand on because uh, Satan's pretty tricky, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3. Oh, no, 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 that fruit's all right. It'll just give you some wisdom like God. And if we don't have foundational truths that we stand on, then we're going to become very shaky. And I see a church right now that is really shaky because they're not standing on foundational truths. They're not having a biblical worldview anymore. They're actually being shaped by a worldly worldview. And it's a dangerous place because right now, a large part of our church does not have an answer for sin and brokenness. Because it's not standing on that foundation anymore. And once you step off of it, then you can't reveal the truth of God anymore. So I, I wanted to begin this session with that as a foundation because everything you do in the rest of... I haven't finished yet, so I know I've got oh, a long time to go. <laughs> right, right? My, my heart as I was preparing this was I want everybody in the room to know that they were created to make a difference in the name of Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to be seduced by a world or even by a church that is drifting away from its truth. See, Viv's going to share a, a little bit later and she'll... She'll have a quote in what she shares that um, is foundational for us also in, in how we respond and act. It's just, it's just a, it's a one-liner, but I'll make sure you don't miss it, all right? I won't say it now because I'll, give, I'll let Viv say that. 
I was just reading her notes and I thought, that was good. I wish I had a thought of that. Right? I just thought it was unbelievably important for us to begin today like this. Because if we don't have this foundation, we will not be able to impact our world for God. It's centrally important. Let me just read one more little bit. No worldview is merely a theoretical philosophy. It is intensely practical, affecting the way we live our lives, day in, day out, as well as the way we influence the world around us. If we adopt a false worldview, we will inevitably find ourselves going against the grain of the universe, leading to the consequences we cannot live with, as millions and millions are discovering. If, however, we order our lives in accord with reality, we will not find meaning and purpose, but also discover that our lives are healthier and more fulfilled. Christianity is the only accurate roadmap of reality, and we must be ready to make the case to those who are growing increasingly aware of the futility of all other world's views. At some point, everybody's going to come and try to work out what truth is. At some point, everyone's going to ask that question. We're the only ones that have the answer to the question. In the end, all of this just leads to um, pretty much one word. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I understand that the answer to every Sunday school question is Jesus. But Jesus came for one thing, salvation. The salvation of the world, that's it. It's, it's, that's why we're here, right? Matthew one twenty one. She will give birth to a son and you have to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. John 10.10, a thief comes only to kill, steal and destroy, but I have come that may have life. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Acts 13.47, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5.9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God appeared that offers salvation to all people. Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation. We have the answer. And as we stand on the foundations of biblical worldview, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, we have an answer to the world's problem. Salvation. Any questions? Any thoughts? 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose. It's good news. So any other thoughts? Questions? It's a minefield. We, we aren't called to judge. And, and this is what I love about... Viv, Viv and I have been doing this course called Colson's Fellows, which looks at biblical worldview, right? And uh, we've been doing it over a, a while. Um, and it's sort of been very shaping of us. But, but, but what it does is, is everybody's got a worldview and we aren't, we aren't coming to judge their worldview. We're coming to listen to their worldview 
so that we can speak our worldview into theirs. All right? So it's not about judging or thinking people are wrong. It's saying, I now have a foundation of biblical truth that I know that is going to bring life to this person. I don't want to judge them. I want to listen to where they're at because they're, at, they're where they are for a reason. Everyone believes what they believe for a reason. It just isn't idle thinking. But it gives us an opportunity to bring a worldview that we know is true into their situation without judging them. Oh, by the way, did you hear? I, I hear you feel that, but this is what I've experienced. You know what? I, I felt like that and broken and hurt, but, but I have Jesus. He's actually saved me from like we just subtly bring our worldview in without judging where they are and and understanding what we believe helps us to do that in an amazing way i was um i was reading the other day about elijah right you remember elijah and uh he had to do all this stuff and uh he just felt alone and he cries out to god and he just says god why am i the only one left like i've been doing what you want and it's just me now right and, and God has this amazing response. He says, no, 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 no. <laughs> Elijah, you got it wrong. i got 7,000 others. You're not alone. And so when, when I say, um, I, I think a church, and we're the church, I under, you understand that, like the church isn't a building, but, but I think a Western church is moving away from God in general, right? But you're not alone. There's 7,000 others. We're not alone. And so you come to a, a group like this, it just says, you know what? I'm not alone. There's others. And God always leaves the remnant. And, and the interesting thing is now I'm preaching because I'm walking, right? And so is that okay? All right? So here's the interesting thing. All throughout the Old Testament, you have the Israelites, and they just said, praise God, we're with God, it's, we're all good God. And then all of a sudden, there's a generation came after them and they didn't quite get this God and they started moving away from God and then they started, and what happened when they moved away from God? Pain and disaster, right? They got taken captive somewhere or a country overtook them or there was war and they lost that. And then they said, oh God, we repent, we're sorry, we want to come back to you and they all come back to God and it's all good and he... he he helps them, he heals them, he prospers them. Then all of a sudden they said, oh, look what we've got. It's all, we've done this ourselves, right? We don't, this is all about us. And they move away from God. And then what happens? Pain and disaster, right? And then they say, oh, we're sorry. Like all through the Old Testament, that's the picture, isn't it? But here's the thing. In every time that they moved away, God left a remnant that spoke truth that eventually brought them back. So right now, because we, we, we only see history. It's all about like reading history because you can, you can put a thousand years into it, just a chapter, right? But we right now are living in a point of time where a Western world has lived off the back of the Christian faith and has prospered and been blessed as a result of that and now have stepped away from that to saying, we did this, right? And we, we're living in that time frame now as Christians. And we think, oh, wow, this is all new. No, it's not new. It's happened hundreds of times before. It's just that we weren't there. But it's just happening to us now in this point of time, a Western Christian world was, is now saying we did this. We don't need God. We, we are the creator of the universe. We are the ones who have managed all of this. We have done this ourselves. And what's coming? Pain and disaster. It's obvious, Right? But we're the remnant, and it's hard to be a remnant. But you're not alone, because there's 7,000 others that Elijah had. That's hope for me. That's hope for us, that we, we, we mix and spend our life with people who are the remnant, who are sold in fast on the biblical worldview, that we continually will just be allowing a world to listen to and that we can speak into gently so that one day the next generation will know, oh, we've got to go back to God. And we just are the people now who are becoming the remnant. It's hard to be a remnant, but you're not alone. We have a good God who created a good universe. We stuffed it up. So he came and he fixed the problem. And now we're about the work of restoration and salvation.
That's all I got. Can we stand? Uh, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. This is old song um, that I used to sing. Um, I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. I was bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's an old chorus, right? I like the old choruses somewhat because they're just really simple and I can remember it. <laughs> the new one's got like 27 verses and then they've got like a bridge over here and second bridge over there and I don't get it. So uh, You're not your own, you were bought with a price and you've been filled with the very presence of God in his Holy Spirit. Boy, that's good news. Father, we just thank you again. As we stand in your presence, we just thank you that you are our God. And you've enabled us by your grace to be your people. We just thank you for the privilege of being in relationship with you. Thank you for the overwhelming excitement we have knowing that we don't live in guilt and shame anymore, but we live in freedom and hope and purpose. And we live in the light of your grace every moment of every day. And Father, sometimes we forget it because we step into a dark world, but Father, I pray that we would never step into a dark world without you. And even if I say that, I'm thinking, Roger, you're an idiot because you're with me. And it's not like I've stepped into a place you aren't already there. And so I just thank you again for your grace, a common grace that you're already in our world at work. You've never left it. And so, Father, I pray that we would never be overwhelmed by a world, but we would always be overwhelmed by you. May your spirit, and it's only through your spirit, reveal truth from your word so that we can live on a foundation that is unshakable, that an enemy can't attack or tear down. Help us to continually be your people in this world, shining your light. And we just thank you again that you continually reveal you to yourself to us in amazing ways. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.